morning, church. I'm thinking 21 years. Golly, it seems like a long time ago, but yet it seems like yesterday for some of us. I was in a fifth grade classroom, and we had gathered all 75 fifth graders at Poston Road Elementary School into that classroom that morning. We didn't really know what was happening, but we turned on Good Morning America to figure it out, and we're watching it with the kids. And what I remember distinctly was seeing what everybody saw live on TV and thinking to myself, oh my gosh, what have I just shared with these 10-year-olds, right? And then I thought, no, they're going to they're gonna need to know. This is, this is for real. And I, what really stood out, a young man named Tyler, a little fifth grader in the classroom, comes up to me and he says, could you mute the TV? I said, sure. I muted the TV. He says, I think we need to pray and I'm going to lead the group in prayer. Not sure what happened to Tyler after fifth grade. You know, you kind of lose track. 20 plus years of teaching and you, you don't know where all your kids land and where they all lined up. But I'll not forget that. It was impactful. Hey, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3 today. I'm going to try to move on as best I can. Um, <clears throat> this is an interesting section because like Leah was talking about, we're getting into husbands and wives and all those moments, right, that sometimes we get in Scripture. But here, here we're going to see Peter laying it out. What does it mean as he's been writing to us about this? We, we've been going through all of the, the letter of 1 Peter. We're going to go through that. Um, so let's go ahead and take a look at the scripture today. If you've got your Bible, that's fantastic. If not, it's fine. It's up on the screen. You'll be able to see along uh, and follow along. So here's hear the word of the Lord. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if they do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respect and pure con when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the women, the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for this is what you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you so much uh, for this 
this time that you've given to us to worship you through the hearing and the applying of your word. I pray, Lord, that as we, we enter into this time of, of worship through, through the hearing and, and, and the, the study of your word, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would um, move in us, convict us, challenge us, draw us closer to you to make us holy for you are holy. Father, I pray that you would give me a little bit of the strength as I'm not feeling well this morning to just make it through. I pray that you would um, speak through me in spite of my own failings and my own weakness. I pray, Lord, that this would be a blessing to your name and a blessing to the hearers. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so Peter has just written to the church reminding them that showing submission to the given authority shows that you're first submissive before a holy and just God. And that's what really Second or First Peter chapter 2 was really what he was about, right? But it sets an example for us, right? And it sets an example for non-believers to see the gospel enacted in your life, that we're, we're doing all of this submitting as a gospel act, right? Peter continues this idea of having non-believers see the gospel enacted in our life, but this time instead of seeing it through our relationships with the government and with ruling authorities and with human institutions... Now he's going to show us in our most intimate relationships, right? Our marriages first, then our interaction with, with friends and others. So what Peter's been, been doing here through chapters 2 and 3 is he's walking us through submission for God's sake. And he, he's kind of taking us through what it looks like to be submissive for the sake of God, for the sake of the gospel. In 2 verses 13 through 25, he kind of highlights the responsibility that we have to human institutions and to overseers. <clears throat> Pardon me. Right? In 3, 1 through 12, he's going to talk about submission within marriage. And then in 3, 13 through 22, he's going to talk about submission though you're being persecuted for your faith. Now, it's good for us to kind of take a moment, step back, and remember what submission is. Submission is willingly putting yourself under someone else's authority. Submission isn't the same as subjugation, okay? Submission isn't the same as weakness. Godly biblical submission is about being meek, right? Meekness, which is strength under control. The kind of strength under control that we, we see so well in the example of Jesus Christ, right? So as we think about that, we think that our ultimate our ultimate example of submission is just that. It's Jesus who willingly submitted to the will of the Father unto death for our sake. Okay. So we, we kind of remember that as we're looking through this passage as well. Now, I also understand that the idea of biblical submission within a marriage has been a contentious topic within the church, and it's definitely a contentious topic outside the church. <clears throat> Some people would like for us to skip these passages. Oh, no, don't go there. No, no. It is much better for us all to know and apply these passages within the context of the whole letter that Peter's written to the church, within the whole context of Scripture, than to only hear what others have said about it and fall prey to false teachings on the matter. We're going to go ahead and have this discussion about it, right? And again, a reminder to us all that submission is what Christ did on the cross, right? He willingly yielded to the will of God the Father and all that. Now, here's what we believe, 
right? As we're getting into this submission and husbands and wives, just a, a quick recap of what we believe. We believe that Scripture affirms the equality of men and women as being made in the image of God. That's who we are. We're image bearers of God. Men and women are made equal in that. We also believe that Scripture affirms the equality of men and women as both heirs with Christ in our salvation through the gospel. My salvation is no greater than Leah's salvation other than maybe I had more sin. That's that's all that works out. We're equal in our salvation. We believe that husbands are to be the leaders in their homes. Wives are subject to and follow that leadership. Wives who have unbelieving husbands may see that husband come to Christ through her godly conduct. These are some things that we believe about what Peter's teaching already, right? And as he dives into this, he starts out with a likewise. Likewise is one of those great transition words in the Bible that tells us to look back a bit. <clears throat> it's similar to a therefore, right? <clears throat> what I think likewise does is it often kind of creates these if-then statements. Remember back to to math, there's always an if-then statement kind of thing. If this happens, then this happens, right? Well, this is kind of what's happening there. If you are being submissive to the governing authorities for the sake of the gospel, then you should be submissive to the authority of your husband at the home for the sake of the gospel. That's kind of the if-then statement Peter's making here with verses 1 and 2 about wives and husbands, okay? It would appear that Peter's writing as he's writing out here to the dispersed church, right? Peter's, we know from chapter 1, he's writing out to, to believers in Christ who are spread out in Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, <coughs> Asia, and Bithynia, right? He knows that there are women who have come to Christ, but their husbands have not. And he's writing a little bit to them as well. And this would be a very interesting countercultural thing for the time, right? Women of the era were expected to follow the gods, lowercase g, quote to air quotes, whatever you want to think, these false gods of their husband's family. <coughs> Excuse me. Plutarch, uh, a Roman historian, said of Hellenistic women of the era in his book, uh, Advice to Bride and Groom, A wife should not acquire her own friends, but should make her husband's friends her own. The gods are the first and foremost and most significant friends. For this reason, it is proper for a wife to recognize only those gods whom her husband worships. Peter's not saying that. Peter's saying, submit to Christ. Even if your husband is not a believer, submit to Christ. Right? And this idea of women showing devotion to Christ, showing devotion <coughs> to non-believing husbands is really countercultural. It would have been a very uncommon thing to see. Now, personally, I'm thankful for this kind of devotion. Right? When a wife loves Jesus first and foremost, yet loves her husband even though he's a non-believer because Christ first loved her, I... I'm one of these guys that I, I appreciate seeing this. <clears throat> I am so thankful for this kind of devotion that Peter calls women to because this is the kind of devotion I grew up in. This is the devotion that I grew up seeing. I was a child who grew up in that kind of a home, a mother who loved Jesus more than anything, 
and a father who was an unbeliever. Mom was devoted to Jesus above all else. And, and for 40 years of marriage, my father was an unbeliever. <coughs> Excuse me. But within the last couple of years of my dad's life, Jesus changed him. Changed him drastically. And I know that mom's dedication to Christ, seeing her live out godly conduct, helped make the gospel that much more palatable to my father. I know that. And I know it was hard. I know it was really hard for mom. And I would not recommend entering into a marriage of unequally yoked. I, I wouldn't recommend that to anybody. But if it's there, the situation's there, the payoff to see your spouse come to Christ, <coughs> to see the desire to be fired up for Jesus in that spouse, that's a blessing of honoring God through submission to an unbelieving husband. And I've witnessed it. What Peter's writing here is, is, is a true statement, that it happens. Now, note this. Submission is not about abuse. Okay? This is not submission through abuse. This is not what Peter's talking about here. This is godly submission. <clears throat> and the hard times or the heartache associated with seeing the person you love most in this world fall to sin's wicked sway day in and day out, knowing they do not have Christ. That's the kind of hardships that we're seeing here. Abuse is not tolerated. Whether it's physical abuse, whether it's sexual abuse, whether that is mental and emotional abuse, it is not tolerated. And Chris and I as pastors have said that. And we want to urge you to seek help if you're being abused. Right? If you want us to go with you as you contact the proper authorities, we're there. We will do that for you. If you need a safe... <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> if you need a safe place to stay... We will find you that place. When we talk about biblical submission, we never mean abuse in any form. If you know someone who you think is being abused in some way, report it. Please report it. Do not allow abuse to continue. Do not allow someone to twist the beauty of Scripture into something demonic and evil like abuse. Don't allow that to continue. I can't emphasize that enough or over enough. Verses 3 and 4, <coughs> excuse me, Peter takes the submission idea in, over into adornments. And the description of the braided hair and jewelry interwoven into it can be seen in, in the sculpture and in the paintings of the era. Right? This is how women of, of Hellenistic Roman upper class societies would typically dress. They'd have these Beautiful long braids, and they'd have jewelry interwoven in and out of it. <coughs> but women here who belong to Christ, he says, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Peter's not telling ladies to wear the frumpiest outfits they can find. Right? <clears throat> He's not saying you should never dress up and you should never look nice. That's not what's happening here. No. Peter's saying 
<coughs> mercy. Peter is saying something here about modesty. But modesty isn't always about clothing. <clears throat> it's not necessarily clothing only. We look at the context here within verses 1 through 4, and we see words and phrases like respectful and pure conduct, gentle and quiet spirit, <clears throat> heart with imperishable beauty. <clears throat> it would seem to me that Peter, as he's writing in this to the churches, he's writing as the Spirit's given it to him, that he's given this concept of, of modesty isn't about clothing as much as it is about heart and attitude. Right? The heart and that attitude were designed to help you win your lost husband to Christ. That modesty is about a, a heart turned to the gospel, a heart turned to personal holiness. <clears throat> and he uses that phrase, imperishable beauty, right? where we have heard Peter talk about how things being imperishable before, that was back in chapter 1, when he called on unbelievers to be holy because the God we serve is holy. Modesty is about personal holiness, right? Modesty is about Christian character. Personal holiness and Christian character can be reflected in our outward adornment, sure. But they are most seen in our conduct with others, right? Peter isn't literally forbidding the braiding of hair or the wearing of jewelry. That's not what he's doing. He is warning against the inordinate preoccupation with personal appearance and material excess, right? More time spent picking up the right outfit <coughs> than time spent on prayer and scripture reading could be an indicator of a modesty problem. More time worried about having the latest and greatest things <coughs> than time spent in fellowship and worship could be a modesty problem. Modesty starts with an inner desire for personal holiness and it's evident in personal Christian character that can be reflected in outward appearances. And then Peter describes Sarah, Abraham's wife, as being obedient. Now, this obedience isn't like a parent and child relationship. <coughs> Again, excuse me. It shows that where Abraham led Sarah followed, right? That, that she is one example of how godly women whom Peter is showing an example of being a quiet and gentle spirit. She has a respectful and pure conduct. She's not fearing any harm that could come her way because she trusted God and trusted her <coughs> and her husband's trusting of God. And he's talking about how Sarah did that. Peter moves again from speaking to wives now and he's speaking to husbands. The word likewise here is used again, right? <clears throat> and again, likewise can be looked at as just a transition word, or likewise could be going back to chapter 2, verses 13 through 21. Again, I kind of think that likewise works like these if-then statements, right? I think this likewise here does go back to chapter 2. <clears throat> and the idea that if you husbands, having submitted to the governing authorities, are authorities in your home, then be understanding toward your wives, honoring them, protecting them, because they also are made in the image of God and are heirs of Christ's salvation. Do this and God will not hinder your prayers. Again, all of this goes back to understanding that Christ himself submitted to the will of the Father. 
And all submission comes from that. <clears throat> he's compressed a lot of this advice to husbands, right? I think even though he's compressed it, the words may be fewer, but I think the concepts are just as deep or as impactful. As you're called to live with your wife in an understanding way, this should focus you on living according to God's will. This means knowing the needs of your wife, meeting her physical needs, meeting her emotional needs, but most importantly, meeting her spiritual needs. <clears throat> Husbands are called to love their wives like Christ loved the church. And in that, and in and of itself, that's a sermon, right? I, I could go into a sermon just on that. I'm not going to do that here today. <clears throat> Excuse me, goodness. But I will remind us all briefly of, the four, of four things that I see that Jesus had done for the church. One, Jesus taught the church. Jesus spent his entire earthly ministry teaching the church. He taught the church how to be the church, right? Husbands, now you may not spend time in direct instruction with your wife. I get that, okay? But do have spiritual conversations with her about scripture that you're both reading. Have these conversations. Dig a little deep. Ask each other hard questions, right? Two, Jesus prayed for the church. Go back to John 17 and think about a high priestly prayer, right? Jesus prayed for the church. Husbands, you should pray for your wife, and you should pray spiritual prayers for your wife, not just healing and, and, and well-being and those things, but prayers of... <coughs> <coughs> of spiritual importance. Pray that, that God will use her as a vessel of the gospel. You should pray scripture over your wife. Pray for her to be a Proverbs 31 or a Titus 2 kind of woman. Jesus sent us the Holy Spirit to encourage the church. Now, yes, I know that we as husbands cannot send the Holy Spirit into our wives' lives. That's not how that works. I get that. But, but hear me out a little bit on this one. I mean, I mean it could be a little stretch. <clears throat> Through the Holy Spirit living in our lives, we can be encouragers of our wives becoming all that God has called them to be. Okay? We can be uplifters of their spiritual calling and encouragers of them living the best they can for Jesus. Right? We can be fully supportive of them fulfilling what we see God doing in their lives, right? I, I think about this one, and I think about Leah driving to the north side of Indianapolis every day that we live here in Martinsville. Now, I, I don't want her to stop doing it. I know she's going to like get all weird on me, <coughs> so I don't look that direction. So I don't, I don't really care how expensive that commute to the north side of Indianapolis is for Leah every day, right? My wife is able to fulfill her call to see young people discipled well and to become biblically literate and she gets paid to do it, right? It brings her joy and it honors our God. I encourage that. Husbands, find what your wife does that honors God and brings her joy. Those two are connected, right? What honors God and brings her joy. Encourage her to do that. Give her the resources she needs to do that. That's how we can be an encourager in the way that Jesus gave us encouragement. 
When Jesus died for the church, husbands, as followers of Christ, we are called to love. <coughs> I'm sorry, we're called to, to live each day as though it's our last, right? We are hoping for Christ's imminent return. We are called to be living sacrifices, holy and acceptable before God. And this is our spiritual worship. Know this, your first and foremost ministry is the ministry of your home. Above all else, live a life of holy sacrifice, obedience, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> live a life of holy sacrificial obedience for the sake of your wife and for your family unto the gospel. Honor him, Jesus who died for you, by honoring your family through sacrifice. These are the things that we as husbands are called to do. As you live with your wives in an understanding way, husbands, you are called to show honor to her as a weaker vessel. Right. Peter is not calling women inferior to men here. Right? He's already acknowledged that both are equally made in God's image. We see that in Genesis chapter 1, right? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, right? Peter sees this equality when he says, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Now, Peter knows men and women share an equal destiny, right? Those who have Christ are heirs with him. <coughs> and those who do not, are not. <clears throat> Peter's more likely here referring to the general truism that men are typically physically stronger than women, right? Now, I've heard others say that the weaker vessel may also refer to something akin to fine china, something you handle with respect and dignity because of its beauty and its value. Now, I'm not going to lie. I think that interpretation might be a bit far afield but I still kind of like it, okay? It's a good reminder that wives are a blessing from God and they are to be treated as a blessing to be honored and to be protected. Husbands who do not treat their wives in such a manner, the Lord will pay no heed to their prayers, nor should he. And I think that's important for us to remember as well. So Peter here has addressed husbands and he's addressed wives, Right? And now, after addressing specifically husbands and wives, he kind of turns to everybody else, right? Now, he gives some <coughs> just practical advice for all believers who are called to have, right, unity of mind, we're to have sympathy, we're to have brotherly love and a tender heart and a humble mind. And he gives us this list of, of godly virtues that we're to be exemplifying as believers of Christ. Those who bless others will be blessed by God. And we see that as Peter quotes from Psalm 34, 12 through 16, right? Because to love life and to see good days is a result of God's blessing on the believer. Peter tells us that this will come to the person who can keep his tongue from evil and turns away from evil and turns to good, right? Obedience to God in daily life is a pathway to experience God's blessing, right? And the inverse of that is also true. Disobedience is the pathway to God's discipline. As Peter continues to quote this song, 
<clears throat> he reminds us that the Lord sees us and cares for us. And that the Lord's ears are open to the petitions of our prayers. Right? This does not mean the, diso- or the obedient will not suffer. Right? It doesn't mean that. The obedient are still going to have sufferings in life. But it means that God will provide strength through his grace to see us through that suffering when we are faithful. <clears throat> so we get to this, guess kind of the brass tacks of it. What does this mean for us? What's the takeaway for today? Well, first things first, this passage is about submission, right? Nothing in this passage is going to matter to you if you have not already submitted your life to Jesus Christ. It's just not. As Christians, submission, willingly placing ourselves under someone else's leadership, is the lifestyle that we have. We submit to one who is greater than us, who will sustain us for eternity. We submit to the authority of Scripture so that we can banish cultural ideas of submission and embrace biblical ideas of submission instead. We have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ. And until we do that, nothing else matters. As we look at it, I like what Jen Wilkin, uh, a fantastic uh, teacher for ladies, says about submission. She says, for wives, submission is an act of faith. Faith that God is working through her husband to accomplish what is best for her. Now, I'll admit this, that for some wives, that requires a lot more faith than for some other wives. But it stems back to having faith in Christ and submitting your life to Him and to Him first. For men, our submission to God means that we lead within our home with humility and grace. We provide for the needs of our family, remembering that they are our first ministry. And as important as physical needs are, spiritual needs are more important. Because they carry the weight of eternity. And those of us that are just general followers of Christ, we should seek to live a life of personal holiness that benefits all around us. (coughs) We should have unity and brotherly love with believers sympathy and a tender heart for unbelievers, and a humble mind with all that we encounter. As we close today, ask God to continue to create into you a submissive heart, a heart that seeks personal holiness for the sake of the gospel. Would you bow with me? Father, I thank you. I thank you that you got me through this, even though I was coughing and not feeling real well. I pray, Lord, that in spite of that, that we see that having a submissive heart to you before all things is the most important thing. That we recognize that that we we need you. (coughs) Father, if there's someone who's listening online or or wherever and they, they know they don't have Jesus... I pray you'd move in their hearts right now. Convict them. Just have them call out. I submit myself to you, Jesus. I have have failed 
I've sinned, and I want to be forgiven of that. Place that in their hearts. Bring them to you. Father, I pray that for all of us that do have Christ, that you would continue to create in us a submissive heart. Create in us a a heart that desires personal holiness for the sake of spreading the gospel message to those who need to hear it. Encourage us to do that. Spur us on, oh God. It's in Jesus' name I pray.